0: Hello and welcome to X-Men Unraveled, a podcast following the stories of the X-Men in chronological order. I'm Noelle, and today I'm covering a few stories to start wrapping up the years prior to the formation of the X-Men. I want to catch up with the characters who have appeared so far on the podcast before we leave them behind for a time and focus on the original X-Men team. I'm going to start with a story about Logan in the late 1950s, and then go over the adventures of Victor Creed or Sabretooth when he is an Avenger alongside half-Atlantean, half-mutant Namora. Yes, Sabretooth the Avenger. Not who I would recruit, but Nick Fury obviously saw potential in Sabretooth's powers and wanted him on the right side. At least that's how I mentally try to justify recruiting Sabretooth, who is a terrifying killer. And finally, I'll finish up with a story about Sabretooth and Mystique that has important ramifications much later on in X Men history. So let's get started. In about 1958, after his time in Cuba that I covered in the last episode, Logan made his way to San Francisco's Chinatown in Wolverine Manifest Destiny, numbers 2 to 4. The residents of Chinatown are being harassed and extorted by a gang led by a man called the Black Dragon. His real name is Lo Shang Cho, and while we don't see much of him in the story, his gang basically controls Chinatown. Logan arrives in San Francisco for unknown reasons, and stops into a little restaurant. With his usual penchant for finding trouble, he walks in just as agents of the Black Dragon are demanding money from the owner. But the man can't pay, so they just beat the shit out of him. And then they tell him that they will just take his daughter since he doesn't have the money. And the man is pleading with them when Logan interrupts, Y'all still serving noodles, ain't ya? One of the Black Dragon agents points a sword in Logan's face and says that he should leave before he gets hurt. But when Logan threatens him back, the man starts going on and on about how ancient his sword is and how many people it's killed. And then Logan just pulls out his gun and says it's opened more assholes than castor oil, which might be the best line ever. And when the man sees the gun and Logan points it at his head, he decides it's not worth getting shot over and the gang leaves. Logan walks up to the shopkeeper and the man tells him that he didn't really do that much good because the black dragon will just send more men after them and Logan says that he really would like some noodles because he doesn't like killing on an empty stomach. And then Logan starts chatting with the man's daughter and says he might stick around in Chinatown because he likes the scenery. It seems like the wrong time to hit on someone to me. This girl just barely escaped being kidnapped and threatened with sexual assault. But I guess since it's Logan, somehow it works. And the daughter, who's named Lynn, quickly becomes his girlfriend. The next thing we see is a meeting taking place among the citizens of Chinatown, and the restaurant owner makes an announcement. He asks if everyone is tired of the Black Dragon and his reign of terror, and he suggests that if they are, they should unite under Logan who has already faced his agents and fight back. There are several groups present representing various fighting schools from across Chinatown, and all of the leaders vote to accept the plan. So Logan leads a street war with his new allies against the Black Dragon, and they pretty easily defeat them and kill Lo Shang Cho. After the victory though, Logan's allies expect him to take up the mantle of the Black Dragon and become the new leader of Chinatown. But Logan says, uh, thanks, but no thanks. As far as he's concerned, he's helped the people he set out to help, and he's done. His girlfriend, Lin, tries to convince him to take up the role, saying that without the Black Dragon keeping the gangs in line, everything will fall to chaos. And to refuse is also an insult to everyone who joined in the fight that basically Logan started. But that doesn't help either. Logan adamantly refuses and tells Lin that, you know what, he's just gonna leave Chinatown altogether. So he ditches Lin, Chinatown, and all of the people he wanted to help in the first place earning their hatred in the process. Fifty years later, Logan will return to Chinatown and has to face down another black dragon who's tormenting the city. Apparently, after he abandoned her, Lynn took on the role of the black dragon herself and ended up becoming just as cruel as the previous one. When Logan shows up all those decades later, Lynn hates him just as much, if not even more, than when he left. But... Where we're at in the story, Logan won't find that out for a long time. But at least this time, his girlfriend survives. That's way more than they usually get, so there's that. And so Logan leaves and heads back off to his wandering life. The next story I want to cover includes Victor Creed, or Sabretooth, and Namora. I haven't talked about them in a bit, especially Sabretooth, so here's a quick recap of who they are. Sabretooth's year of birth is never specified, he's either about the same age as Logan or a bit older, so he's probably born sometime in the mid-1800s. When his powers manifested during his childhood, he grew large fangs and claws, and he ended up killing his brother over a piece of pie. And his religious parents believed that he was possessed by the devil, and so they locked him in their cellar. Then his father ripped out his claws and fangs, but Victor has a healing factor like Logan, so they would grow back. And this went on for months, if not years. Eventually, Victor escaped, killed his parents, and went on the run. Victor met Logan after Logan murdered his brother Saul, and this makes them lifelong enemies and Victor would go on to kill at least two of Logan's girlfriends and show up in Logan's life each year on his birthday to torment him. Last time we saw Sabretooth, he had just shot Logan in Chicago in the 1930s and left him for dead. And much like Logan, Sabretooth wanders the world, getting into various adventures over the years. But we don't have as much detail about his life because he's not a beloved X-Man like Logan, he's a terrifying villain. Namora, on the other hand, has been keeping pretty busy over the years. Last time we saw her, she was living in New York City fighting crime. After that, she went back to Atlantis, fought off some communists, and then tried to find Namor after he disappeared with amnesia when Destiny attacked Atlantis. Namora briefly worked with a group called the Monster Hunters, led by Ulysses Bloodstone, and at some point she married and then apparently divorced another Atlantean named Talon. And then she started a relationship with Sergei Kravenov, better known as Kraven the Hunter. He usually shows up in Spider-Man comics as a villain. Um, how they met, I'm not totally sure. But I probably could have done an episode about all of Nomura's adventures, but they're kind of all over the place, so that's a quick recap. Strangely, these two very different mutants end up on the same Avengers team in 1959. This first story comes from New Avengers numbers 10 to 12, in 1959, Victor Creed is in Madrapur. He seems to be just aimlessly drifting, probably making his way as a mercenary. But that year, Nick Fury shows up to recruit Victor for a new mission ordered by President Eisenhower. He's in charge of putting together a team of powerful individuals without concern necessarily for how morally upstanding they may or may not be. He just needs people who can get jobs done. So Fury arrives in Madripoor with a man named Dugan, who is helping his recruiting efforts. They find Creed as he is in the middle of a drunken brawl and throws a man through a bar window. Fury and Dugan approach Creed to present their job offer, but Creed is not very interested in listening to Fury, so Dugan shoots Creed in the head. They know that he has healing powers, um, and they just need to get his attention, and honestly, it seems like it's a pretty good strategy when dealing with Victor Creed. Uh, so he heals up, and I would imagine sobers up as well, and finally listens to Fury's offer. And I guess with nothing better to do, he agrees to join, and Fury goes on to recruit the rest of his team. The team he puts together includes an interesting bunch of characters. There is Dominic Fortune, an adventurer and mercenary, Namora, the half-mutant, half-Atlantean, Namora's boyfriend, Sergei Kravinoff better known as Craven the Hunter, Ulysses Bloodstone, a monster hunter we met a while back in Logan's story as a member of the group called The Covenant, and Ernest Sablanova, or Silver Sable, who is basically a Nazi hunter. After gathering all of the recruits, Nick Fury has them all meet up at a bar so he can tell them about the mission. But first, Nick Fury says one of the most slut-shamey things I have ever had the misfortune to hear or read. He says, Intel's like a lady. The more hands that touch it, the worse it gets. Hate to break it to you, Fury, but sounding like an evangelical youth pastor is not a good look. Like, no one asked you to admit that you're bad at sex, Nicholas, but if you're afraid of women who have something to compare you to, that is a you problem, my dude. It was just so gross. I literally had to stop reading the comic when I got to that line and make sure I actually read it right, which unfortunately I did. Anyway, after Nick Fury's sexist attempt at a joke, he tells them that U.S. secret agents have been able to infiltrate a Nazi operation led by the Red Skull. The Red Skull was a high-ranking Nazi during World War II, trained by Hitler. Um, You'll remember him if you saw the Captain America movie, and he also shows up in Infinity War and Endgame. Um, He stands out, literally having a bright red skull face. After rising through the ranks of the Nazis, the Red Skull founded the organization Hydra, which I've covered a little bit before. Basically a Nazi offshoot, so they're a problem. But at the end of the war, the Red Skull ended up trapped in suspended animation, so they don't know it yet, but this Red Skull that they're going after is an imposter. And this imposter Red Skull is working to find Nazis who survived the war and form a Fourth Reich. The team all asks Nick Fury who's going to be infiltrating the operation this time, but Fury tells them he didn't recruit them for subtlety. They are being sent in as fighters and hunters, which they're all thrilled about. He also tells the group that they are now avengers, responsible for avenging every victim of the Third Reich. Then the group travels to Helsingborg, Sweden, where the Red Skull has his base of operations. There the team sets a trap, with Craven and Fortune waiting on a roof, and Sabretooth lying in wait on the ground. They spot a Nazi truck, and so Sabretooth runs out in front of it so it hits him and it has to stop, and when the driver gets out to check on him, Sabretooth jumps up and kills him. Then they take the truck. Silver Sable dresses as a Nazi so they can sneak past the Nazi checkpoint, but they're stopped by the guards when they get there. They don't buy Sable's cover, and they demand to see what's in the back of the truck. That's when the rest of the team, except for Namora, jump out and attack the guards. They're quickly outnumbered, so the team calls Namora for backup. She rides in on a giant whale and brings a tidal wave with her. Hopefully she was able to get the whale back into the water, I was kind of worried about that, but the comic doesn't show what happens to the whale, so I'm assuming that she was not irresponsible and got it back into the ocean somehow. But Nomura's intervention frees them up to get inside the Nazi facility. They do manage to track down the Red Skull, but before they can capture him, he sets off a bomb and escapes. And the team is just about to go after him when the smoke clears, but then Captain America walks in. Or at least... Some do dressed as Captain America does. And Nick Fury, who knew Cap well, gets pissed and asks what sort of trick is going on. At this point in Marvel time, everyone believes Captain America to be dead because he was in a plane crash and ended up in the Arctic Ocean. So he definitely shouldn't be waltzing around a Nazi base. Nick Fury and Bloodstone take on the imposter Captain America, knocking him through the wall of a building. Meanwhile, Namora had to leave the building because fire weakens her powers. She's half Atlantean so being out of the water is not great, but being trapped in a burning building is really bad for her. And luckily, that allows her to catch up with the imposter Red Skull who is trying to escape with a couple other Nazis in a submarine. Nomura rips off a hatch of the sub and captures the Red Skull as he tries to swim away. Nomura then takes him back to the rest of the team who take a silver briefcase away from the Red Skull that he's been dragging around. But before they can learn any more about who this Red Skull is or what the plan is, Sabretooth attacks and beheads him. Nick Fury flips out and yells at Sabretooth for wasting their chance to find out more information, and Sabretooth just says, You're welcome, I took care of the problem. I get that Fury is mad, but putting Sabretooth on a team is just basically asking him to go wildcard and pull something like this. You should have seen it coming, Fury, you're not dumb. But Fury sends the team off so he can deal with whatever is in the fake Red Skull's briefcase, which we don't actually get to see, we just see them open it and it lights up. In Avengers 1959, numbers 1-5, to the team ends up on another mission chasing what they believe is another underground Nazi organization. This story is kind of all over the place. There's Nazis, mystical powers, zombies, and Cold War fears about communism. It's a little confusing, but it all mostly makes sense in the end. So after their adventure in Sweden, the Avengers meet up in New York to celebrate their victorious first mission, even if thanks to Victor Creed, it didn't exactly end according to plan. They all drink, and Fury toasts the success of their mission before they all head off on their separate ways but when the team is split up, several of them are attacked. Nick Fury has to fight off an assassin on the streets of New York, Namora and Craven are on a boat that's attacked by a submarine, and Dominic Fortune is flying a plane that almost gets shot down. And then Sabretooth is hitchhiking to Toronto when a man in a truck stops to pick him up, but as they're chatting, the man transforms into a werewolf and attacks Creed. Fury meets with the police after he's attacked and then talks to the other three that were also attacked. They don't know who's after them or why. All they know is that some of the attackers had a skull with an eight on it on their uniforms. So they assume that this is probably Nazis since they just dealt with the red skull. Fury goes home to try and figure out what is going on, but some random guy is sitting in his house when he gets there. The man introduces himself as Powell McTeague, and he was secretly sent by US General Hill. General Hill wants Fury and the Avengers to continue going after the Nazis and their allies, but off the record. So Fury heads off to the country of Latveria to meet with a couple of contacts. One is a man named Eric Koenig, a German that Fury knew during the war, who's now a naturalized uh, US citizen, and the other is a woman named Louise Mason. She has been undercover as the girlfriend of a Nazi general, Dieter Skull, who was living in Latveria. She's also known as the Blonde Phantom, and while she was spying on Skull, he caught her listening in on one of his conversations, and her cover was blown. He pushed her out of a window into a moat, but she survived the fall and got away. After the three catch each other up on what they've uncovered, Koenig takes them to meet with a Wakandan ambassador. He tells them that Wakanda's ruler was abducted during a visit from U.S. State Department officials. The ambassador believes that the underground Nazi group infiltrated and used the State Department visit to carry out the abduction. He wants Fury's Avengers team to figure out what is going on. So Fury and Mason use the information that she gathered from Dieter skull to go investigate a Nazi hideout. When they get inside, they are immediately attacked by a horde of zombies. They escape by blowing up the building. Meanwhile, Nomura, Creed, and the rest of the Avengers team have been sent by Fury to track down two other Nazis in the South China Sea. They are Brain Drain, a Nazi scientist whose brain has been implanted in an android after a nearly fatal accident, and the other is Baron Blood, a noble Englishman who is also a vampire. So the Avengers board the ship that the two dramatically named Nazis are on and attack them. But during the fight, the Nazis are teleported away in two columns of fire that leave skulls with eights on them burned into the deck. And then to make things weirder, the guy who first recruited the Avengers at the beginning of this story, Powell McTeague, has also arrived. He teleported his way there as well. Apparently, he has mystical powers, which are explained away due to his Welsh and Jewish heritage. McTeague tells the Avengers that he thinks there is someone else involved in the Nazi schemes, and the Nazis might not even be the ones in charge. And the skull symbol that they've been seeing everywhere, it probably belongs to whoever is working with the Nazis. The Avengers regroup in Madripoor with Nick Fury and Louise Mason to go over what they know. On the way there, Mason and Fury have captured a group of unnecessarily hot Nazi spy women, um, and so they interrogate them. One of them says that skull medallions just showed up in their homes and they took it as a sign to come out of hiding. That the Third Reich is rising again, I guess. But they don't get much information, so Nick Fury lets Creed kill the Nazis. Namora and Dominic Fortune then go to a government building in Madripoor to find records of where the Nazis are hiding, and they find it, and the team goes to attack the base. When they're there, Fury finally gets some answers from McTeague about what is actually going on. McTeague says that he believes that the enemies they are chasing have ties to the U.S. government. Whoever is behind the skull emblem is gathering allies, including Nazis, to establish their own power base and oppose communists. And that's how the group got inside the US government, because the US is in the midst of trying to defeat communism. Namor and Louise Mason are in the middle of interrogating a Nazi leader when Fury and McTeague arrive. They're able to get information about the group's next steps, and the Avengers travel to Wakanda which is under attack by Dieter Skull and a bunch of other Nazis. The Avengers beat them pretty quickly, and then McTeague teleports them all to Washington, D.C. There, a U.S. senator is meeting with a man named Jeffrey Seidenham. He has formed an organization called ICON, and they are the ones behind gathering the Nazis and attacking the Avengers. He's convinced the senator to join him because they're both enemies of communists. McTeague teleported the Avengers straight to where Sidenham and the senator are meeting, but Sidenham has gathered barren blood, brain drain, the spider queen, and a bunch of zombies to face them. They have a major battle, which of course the Avengers win, and then McTeague is able to trap Sidenham in some magic chains. At the same time, back in Latveria, the ruler of Wakanda has also been rescued, and so the Avengers save the day. This last story is a short one, but it's important down the road for some stories about the X-Men. Mystique and Sabretooth both find themselves in East Berlin in what I would guess is about 1960. And this is from Sabretooth number 3. Mystique is working as an agent using the alias Lenny Zauber to assassinate a German scientist. After she completed her mission, Victor Creed arrives as her extraction agent. He picks her up from the facility where she killed the scientist, and they make their way to a safe house in West Berlin. Sabretooth doesn't know who Lenny Zauber really is. He completely buys the disguise that Mystique is using, and has no idea who he's really dealing with. And after some time together in the safe house, they develop a relationship. Or at least Victor Creed believes they have. He doesn't know He's with Mystique, and she never drops her disguise. She takes it far enough that she calls him Mein Liebkin and makes him think that she really cares about him. But one day, she says she has to go and meet their contact out in the city, and Creed is like, yeah, whatever, and I'll go get us some dinner. But after she leaves, the phone rings, and the person on the other line yells dramatically that Lenny can't go to the meeting. Creed rushes out to try and stop her, but by the time he gets to the meeting place, Lenny is dead in a canal. Mystique has somehow, like, kept or found the real Lenny Zauber and either killed her or threw her body in the canal. Either way, it's pretty creepy. She either had her, like, imprisoned somewhere and then killed her, or she was already dead and she just had the body stashed. I don't know. Either way, Creed was distraught at seeing Lenny's dead body and even went to the morgue to be sure it was her, but using Lenny's body to fake her own death allowed Mystique to get away without Creed ever knowing it was her that he'd been with this whole time. Years later, she reveals the information to Creed and also tells him that she had a son from their relationship, but she gave him up right after he was born, basically because he'd cramp her style. Their son would grow up not to be a mutant, which you would guess with Sabretooth and Mystique, but a mutant-hating human. But he won't come into the story for a while. And when he finds out, Victor Creed obviously hates Mystique for this whole deception. And this story might be the first time I actually felt bad for Sabretooth. Like He seemed like he really cared about this fake person that Mystique was pretending to be. But that is everything I wanted to cover today. It's kind of an odd bunch of stories, but I wanted to try and keep up and keep track of where all the mutants I've covered are um, before the X-Men team is formed. We'll see more of Mystique and Namora down the road and Sabretooth and Logan in the next episode. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to check out my Instagram for updates at X-Men Unraveled um, for any news and pictures from the comments.